Thanks for listening to the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Boom, what up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcasting today, believe it or not, from the house that Steve Nash built. It's got the Levy Center. It's on the campus of Santa Clara University. And uh, I get a chance to call a game tonight. Pretty exciting. Uh, should be fun. Should be fun. Um, we got a lot to get to, and this is going to be a fun, fun show. Um a reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is brought to you by BetRivers Sportsbook. BetRivers is the most trusted name in online sports betting. You must be 21, present in Colorado, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Indiana to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome in. Welcome in. Okay, so the, the way it works is, and I always find this to be interesting, the way it works with lawsuits is we do, and, and, and this is not just... This is not just with Brian Flores. These are in lawsuits that, uh, you know, against players. And if they've, they, they've done something that they're accused of. And we have to, we do a terrible job in the media of presenting both sides of the story. We just do. It's not something that we're good at. We like to think we do, but we don't. And, and it's not just both sides of the story, but it's also if a salacious headline and accusation and trial exists when it doesn't work out the way that public sentiment believes it's going to when the initial report or initial lawsuit goes down, we almost bury it and pretend like it never happened. You know? But I don't know what the truth is. With the Brian Flores accusations. I, I, I don't. Um, I've heard from plenty of NFL people that have said, yes, in the past there have been, you know, interviews that, that, that felt like they were just interviews for interview's sake. I don't know if that's the case here. And it feels like on many and many levels, here's a guy that really liked the job that he had, lost the job that he had. And the way in which he was portrayed led him to make some claims, which are probably the way he feels, but may not be aligned up with with reality. So so here's what I mean. Brian Flores um, made accusations about the Broncos. John L. was like, Dude, we didn't have a, we had an interview in Denver. We caught a red eye. We had a we did a three and a half hour interview. We had a small window of time, and we took copious notes. Like, what do you want us to do? I can tell you, again, I take red eyes all the time. If you see me when I step off a red eye, you'd be like, you look like you look ten years older. <laughs> you know, it does. It'll take eight. Now, I love red eyes because it just cuts down the time from point A to point B, even if it's the same amount of time, it's not working hours. You know, I have the ability to fall asleep on a plane, wake up, go do whatever. I used to do it every weekend when I was at CBS for college basketball. Take a red-eyed New York on a Friday night, and oftentimes I was on a plane back that next day. But, I, you know, you can be 
a little disheveled. You can't be a little on edge. But we need none of us were there. I wasn't there. You weren't there. We, we, we have no idea, none, what the reality is. Uh, according to multiple reports, Flores is a finalist for the Houston Texans job. That, that made sense, by the way, a long time ago. Right? Like, the Texans are run by Patriots guys. The, the, the Texans, if we're honest, for PR's sake, after firing the, one of only a handful of black coaches in the league, that went hurt. But he made sense as a coach because that coach needs to have a little bit stronger voice with the front office. Not what Bill O'Brien had somewhere in the middle, but in order to have that voice, you got to have a relationship with guys in the front office. He does because they all come from that Patriots tree. That made a ton of sense. I just don't know how you claim the, the league is racist with their hiring tactics. Sue the league, you know, call out two different, you know, one's an owner, one's a legend, a guy who runs a franchise that may well own the Broncos soon enough anyway, and then get a job within the league. That one is fascinating. Jerry Jones had this to say to Jory Epstein, who covers the Cowboys. I can see it's an area, one of many, that we can do better. The area has some good intention. It's obvious that if you look through that league and the coaches are trying to improve there. What does he mean by that, by the way? we, We haven't and and I think college sports doesn't do a good enough job of this either. Sometimes people don't champion their quiet successes in trying to bring diversity or trying to evolve and trying to make uh, their job, the workspace better, right? There's a, there's a specific job on every staff. is a minority coaching position, right? In addition, the league is trying to work women into the fold as some form of football coaches. By the way, that is met with a ton, way more, a ton of resistance. But there, there actually has been, and if you look back, remember, they've changed some of the rules and you do get a, a, a slight benefit if you promote from within or promote minority front office and coaches and you retain those coaches. When the league pushed for more, almost more of an affirmative action kind of stance to it, all, all coaches and administrators in the NFL, black and white, thought it was too much. Jones said he didn't have anything to say about any other team as far as the interview goes into its process. I think the fact that it's an issue shows not only the league's willingness to address and do better. I think the fact that it's been discussed and how the Rooney rule or what drives the Rooney rule could do better. In the case of Coach Flores' complaint, he's saying it could do better and... Uh, and the processes create a positive result for the league. Yeah, I don't know if this is a positive result. I think ultimately there will be a positive result. You know, it's been law. It's been widely reported that Byron Leftwich is the is the odds-on favorite to get the Jacksonville job. The issue there is he wants Adrian Wilson from the Cardinals to be the GM, <laughs> not the current GM, which may happen. And in addition to Houston. There's the thought that Tampa comes open if uh, Bruce Arians retires, and if he does, Todd Bowles likely gets his second chance at a head coaching position. So where are we with this? Look, you have the owner, Stephen Ross, saying it's completely untrue. You have John Elway saying it's completely untrue. And oh yeah, by the way, 
neither of those claims, if you actually look at it, including and the Giants claim, don't stand up to the smell. T- they just don't. You can sit here and tell me like, well, I, I've, I've been called every name, basically a racist since this. And, and <laughs> it, when if you actually have any brains at all and have listened to me for any of the 15 years in which I've done afternoon radio at three different networks, I've said the exact same thing. Diversity is absolutely needed. Okay. And and the, the, the Rooney rule, when when used properly, it may not work in terms of immediately, but it's the same idea of getting in a room and getting to know different people and spreading out so that your tree is not just that of whatever organization you came up on. But the New York Giants had interviewed twice two other African-American coaches, two other black coaches. Twice. First interview and second interview. And yes, they asked to talk to Brian Flores. And as I told you people at the time, and I've told people forever, anyone who pays attention knows that John Mara, the owner of the Giants, believes Bill Belichick is a deity. He didn't want to fire Joe Judge. He hired Joe Judge because Bill Belichick said, you should hire this guy. And so Flores was a, you know, look, well, Flores get fired. I don't know what happened in Miami, but that guy's really good. And everybody thinks he's a really good coach. But part of coaching, or a big part of coaching, big part of any job, is managing down and managing up. And I don't think he managed up well at all. And I think there's a mixed, there's, there, there's mixed feelings on how he managed down. But if you think that all these interviews, that you know, this only happens to a black coach... Jim Harbaugh is the perfect example. Many people thought Jim Harbaugh, because the GM, the new GM in Minnesota, worked for Jim Harbaugh or worked with the Niners when he first started in the NFL, that that was a done deal. And what happened? They had a coach in mind, the offensive coordinator of the Rams. They went through their interviews, and they circled back to the guy who was the favorite to begin with, which is what happened with the New York Giants. You hire a GM and Bill Shane. I'm sure it was with the idea in mind that I'm going to bring in Brian Dable because the, co- the, the owner thinks that Danny, Danny Dimes can still play. We got to try and get the most out of Danny Dimes. In order to do that, you got to get the guy who, who can give us the best chance to fix him. That's Brian Dable. Incredibly well-respected. Go back two weeks ago or when they're, when they're playing against the Chiefs and how many people who are reputable NFL people are like, man, Brian Dable should get a job. That guy's done an amazing job, amazing job with the offense and with Josh Allen. Then he gets the job and people are like, well, you know, he's not qualified. Okay. Look, here's – I was talking to a friend in the NFL yesterday. And, and – the statement he made to me is a statement I've made to other people. Do you think for a second in a billion dollar business, these businesses are worth between two and five, six billion dollars. Okay. And the, the way to make money, the way for everybody to get paid is to win. That's it. It's to win. Who gives us the best chance to win? So what you have to formulate in your mind, if these accusations are correct, Okay, is that in 2022, 2022, that an owner would say, you know, I really, 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 really want to win. But I would prefer to win with a white coach than a black coach. 
Do you do you think that's part of the problem, or or for the general manager? Do you think that's a legit discussion? Because the people I've spoken with are like, it literally has never come up, ever, ever. I mean, again, that's what you're. You have to look at the argument. The argument is, hey, Brian Flores, he's a he's a really good coach. But we're not, we don't necessarily want him above Brian Dable because he's black. Do I think there was a time 50 years ago, 40 years ago, where that was the case? Maybe. Yeah, there, probably on some scale, scale there, there, there was. Okay? But in 2022, I find it really, really hard. I'm not saying it, it, things don't exist in our society, but to steal from... Uh, to, to steal from Tony Romo when he lost his gig to Dak Prescott. Football's a meritocracy. Do you have to be liked? Do you have to work with other people? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to remember what you're saying if you're saying these accusations are unilaterally true throughout the National Football League. And right now, John Elway, who wasn't going to say anything, he's pissed. Stephen Ross... He's pissed. Now, if if he has the receipts on Stephen Ross offering him $100,000, that's a different question. By the way, that doesn't have any racial implications. Um, Hugh Jackson, of course, went to social media. He made his own sort of accusations about the Browns. The Browns came out and vehemently and vigorously denied themselves. Here's Hugh going on ESPN talking about a situation. It's not, you know, I wasn't offered $100,000 for every game, but there was a substantial amount of money made within, you know, what happened in the situation every year at the end of it. And I didn't, like I said, really truly understood why until all those numbers and you add it up and you go, what is this? And then you look at year three and four and it talks about winning games. It talks about winning eight to 10 games, winning 10 games and winning the division. To me, that that's amazing to me and no coach takes a job to lose and I think people understand that you take jobs to win your contract says wins you don't get paid for losing and then here I am after being one in 31 I'm kept the third year and given a contract extension that nobody knew so that should tell everybody something right there why do you keep a coach who's one in 31 when your track record has been to get rid of coaches as fast as you can you give them a contract extension you keep that quiet and the same people who are involved in all of these transactions are still running the, the organization today. So that means they must have been doing something right through all that losing. That is the, that is the biggest plate of word salad I've ever seen. Have you ever heard some word salad like that? Hugh's saying the only reason I got a contract extension was because I lost games and they wanted me to lose games? That, I, mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm at a complete loss. By the way, we have incentivized losing based upon the drafting process. We used to have it in the NBA, a pure lottery system, right? Now we've made it even more incentivized to lose as many games as possible. I mean, Dan Beyer talked about it yesterday on how he, he wishes to just go back to the pure lottery. If you don't make the playoffs, you got an equal shot. We haven't had that for a long time. So the leagues have made it so that it's better for your future if you lose. The Browns did not apparently hold Hugh Jackson personally responsible for all the losing and rewarded him with a, ba- with, with a, with a new contract because he had been through the tough days. 
only to fire him because once they felt like they had the appropriate level of talent, they didn't like the coaching. I, I, I got to tell you, we're, we're making it into something that it is not. We're taking steps that just aren't there. That, that's actually, that actually speaks more highly about the Browns organization than anything I can possibly think of. But wow. Word salad. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. By the way, I don't have to apologize for doing this. This is my show. I, I, I greatly dislike, greatly dislike when we are disingenuous with a story. Okay? And no story is more disingenuous. And I heard it in a promo, one of our other shows, talking about Josh McCown's a high school coach. How could you make a high school coach into a... Uh, into an NFL coach. Damien, you know, would there, would there be a black high school coach to be like, are you serious? Is that the way you're telling the story? Is that really the way you're telling the story? Because it's embarrassing what we're doing. I'm embarrassed for my profession. Embarrassed. Okay? Completely and utterly embarrassed at what we do. When we, we want an outcome... To be something. So we'll tell half the story. That's what they do in politics. That's not what you're supposed to do in sports. You're supposed to go, hey, that's kind of an interesting idea. Just so we're aware, okay? And, and this is an argument that I have made for myself. I make for other athletes. Okay? Josh McCown played in the NFL for 18 seasons. 18 seasons. 18. Okay? And most of those years, most of those years, he was a backup, right? And the job of the backup is basically, and his job was basically to be kind of a working quarterback coach. He's seen it all. Seen it all. And done it all. You know, gotten a chance to start as a backup, beating out guys. You know, he went and played in the UFL. He played for the Niners, the Bears, the Cardinals he started for, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Browns. When he was with the Jets in Sam Darnold's first year, he was seen he was inseparable from Sam Darnold. Right, when Darnold got hurt, as Darnold is prone to do, he came in and played. Like, to call him a high school coach, that's like saying, like, yeah, I got this high school coach, the Bruce Rollinson's been at Modern Day. We're going to name him the head coach of the Texans. Like, that's embarrassing. Why would you tell a story that way? Why would you do that? What, because you name another high school coach that get a head coaching job in the NFL? Trent Dilfer could get one. Do you know why? He's a Super Bowl champion quarterback, and all he's done is work with quarterbacks. Phillip Rivers, he's a high school coach. Like, what, what, are, what are we doing? What, 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 what are we doing? I, I, I totally understand having currently one black coach in the NFL looks terrible. Okay? Looks terrible in 2022. But you know, it's really kind of interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, or at least interesting to me that the Minnesota Vikings 
And what happened yesterday is fascinating because I think people thought that Jim Harbaugh was going to get the job because the new general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, Quezzi Adolfo Mensu, who's a, seen as a brilliant, young, bright, shining star, came from the world of Wall Street and derivatives in 2013 to work with the then led by Jim Harbaugh, San Francisco 49ers, he decided to go a different direction. You know? They decided to go with the offensive coordinator of the L.A. Rams, Kevin O'Connell, who's a former player as well, uh, former wide receiver, I believe. And O'Connell is part of this new... Look, it's a copycat league. And as much as you could sit here and go, all oh, these young guys, these offensive guys, hey, who's in the Super Bowl? Sean McVay. Who's in the Super Bowl? I mean, from the Bengals to the Rams to the Niners, right? They are coached by a new generation to the Green Bay Packers. Now, do they all have, do they have great quarterbacks with them? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I would say the Niners, maybe, maybe not. Like, he's a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. But I find it fascinating that Harbaugh, some people thought, was getting the job. That it was just a, you know, they're going to interview him and he's going to get the job. When the narrative in football was Kevin O'Connell's the guy who Quezzi has identified as the smartest hire, the best guy. I think the thing is fascinating. Fascinating. And now Harbaugh went back, and I don't know if it's tail between his legs, or I don't know if he was just not a good fit, or if he did the interview and said, you know, I'm not the guy for you. Michigan's the, Michigan's the place for me. Apparently called Ward Manuel and said this would not be a yearly problem and recommitted to Michigan. Fascinating. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Let's get to Brandon Whedon, who, who joins us. Um, Brandon, let, let's, let, let's, let's, oh, we can work our way pa- back to the, to the uh, Florida store if we have time. I, I want to ask you quarterback wise, what, what happened to Pat Mahomes on Sunday? Here's a guy, it's his fourth straight year in the NFC, in the AFC championship game. He's played in and won a Super Bowl, And yet in the second half, I haven't seen him play that poorly. What, what do you think happened to him? Man, I, I, he didn't even look. I mean, it was a tale of two halves with him. I mean, the first half he came out, he was dealing. I mean, it was kind of looked like it was going to be a wrap early. Uh, they they found a way to kind of take away um, Tyreek Hill, and, and Kelsey was a little bit more quiet. Man, he just he didn't look comfortable back there. I mean, they were rushing three at times, and, you know, he had all day and just standing back there. So, you know, the coverage on the field was, you know, a little bit better. They, they played a little more split safety. Um, again, tried to double Tyreek Hill. Man, I, I haven't seen him look that bad, you know, since – since the Super Bowl, I mean, I, th- I think he just—I um, don't know, man. He didn't look comfortable. Didn't look like he was throwing, throwing the ball in there like he was in the first half. In the first half, he was just flat out dealing. And uh, you know that last play of the of the first half where he threw Tyreek and they ended up not getting any points, and it kind of just went downhill from there. But I, you don't see that very often from number fifteen. I mean, he normally normally gets it done, and he he just didn't play well, man. And uh, Joe Burrow did. Yeah, it's it's it is it it's crazy. Um... Okay, what about Burrow? Like, when Burrow came out, there were people who were like, well, I love him, but he doesn't have the arm strength. 
Uh, he seems to have fixed some things mechanically. But, man, that guy gives – he seems to give that team the confidence they need to maybe play a little bit above the, their level. When you watch quarterback to quarterback, a guy who started for three different franchises in this league, what do you see when you watch Joe Burrow play? Uh, I think poise, confidence. I mean, he, the way he stands in there, I mean, it's pretty well documented. You know, his, his offensive line is, is not um, – I wouldn't say it's Super Bowl contender quality, um, and they're finding a way to get it done. I mean, obviously, Jamar Chase is having an unbelievable year. Uh, Tyler Boyd, Higgins, I mean, he's got some dudes. Um, you know, if they can protect him, I mean, he can stand back there and deliver with the best of them. He is he uh, is creeping into that top five conversation. I just think he's got, you know, uh, he's got an uncanny ability just to stand in there, look calm. You know, it doesn't look like the game's real fast for him. He kind of it, he's playing slow. Looks like he's thinking pretty slow. He's processing things pretty, pretty quickly. He's he's just in complete control. I mean, you know, he just his poise and confidence kind of pops off the off the tape. You know, when he walks in the stadium with sunglasses on and the big old chain and everything else, you know, and he kind of backs it up, right? I mean, it's just it's fun to watch. He's he's got a little swag about him, and I think the guys around him just kind of buy in. And like you said, I mean, who would have thought that this team would be playing the Super Bowl and He's a he's a very big part of what they're for the reason they're there. But he's just he's a confident guy, man, that just knows how to play the position, and his brain works a lot faster. It seems like than his body's having to do on the field, and just knows to go with the ball and and uh, you know delivers. He's got he's he's going to be a stud for a long time. Brandon Whedon joining us on the on the Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio. How much of the Niners' struggles were Garoppolo related? How much of it was their offensive line? Seem to struggle not just to run the football, but to protect him in 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 back in dropbacks. Yeah, well, I think the first thing you said just run the football. They weren't able to establish a run game, and that that offense is built on running the football. Run the football, uh, control line of scrimmage, play action, and that's that's where Jimmy's his best. And they weren't able to do that. And you know, they're having to block a, a really good front on the other side. So, yeah, I mean, they you know, kind of they got away with got away from what they were good at and I think in large part because the Rams kind of took it away but um, you know Jimmy Garoppolo look man I mean you say what you want he probably won't be there next year but you got to tip your cat to him I mean you, they draft their future quarterback he's sitting over there on the sideline and he goes out and just kind of puts all that behind him and, and leads his team you know to the NFC championship game so you know so that's that's pretty impressive man I mean he's he's uh, he'll find plenty of suitors I would assume this offseason but no, the 49ers just kind of got away from what they were, what they're good at. And, you know, the way they're built, the way that team is, is uh, is designed to win, and, and that's running football, play action, doing those things. And then, you know, when you have to drop back and pat, you know, just straight drop back against that front. I mean, good luck, man. I mean, it's just it's hard. You got to you got to get creative, and and uh, you know, the 49ers just really aren't built, you know, to play offense like that. Brandon Whedon joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports <laughs> Radio. Um, look, Stafford played really well but he did have the one throw to tart which was i mean right in his hands um how convinced are you at stafford's big game ability considering though that ball was dropped it was i was an arm punt that could have dramatically changed the game. like I, I think a lot of people are like well it, that's it he won it's over it's like oh that one was that, that was that, that's questionable what do you think of stafford now that you've seen him in the biggest of games you know, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan. I'm pulling for him. I mean, unfortunately, the guy, you know, kind of had to sit up there in Detroit and put up, you know, gaudy numbers. Just wasn't able to have a complete team to to do much. But I've always been a big fan of Stafford. Uh, I got a lot of respect for one the way he plays the position, how tough he is, his arm talent is 
is second to none. I mean, the guy's the guy's got unbelievable arm talent. He's he's a he's again a tough dude. Uh, I'm I'm happy for him. I think we talked about it the, the week he signed. I guess about a year ago, and I told you I said, man, this is this is a signee that I think will take them where they want to go and get to the Super Bowl. I just think he was kind of the missing piece of of what they needed. So, you know, people are going to question. I mean, but again, he's up in Detroit. I mean, that's he he hasn't been in the best situation for the first eleven seasons of his career and he finally gets an opportunity to go play with a with a head coach that's got an uncanny ability to, to call plays and an unbelievable defense and a ton of weapons around him so i mean i man i'm absolutely pulling for him i'm a big fan i, I think he's got the ability to to get it done i really do uh, i think because of him but also because of that defensive line of the rams i just think it's it's going to be tough for for cincinnati to block those guys for four games or for four quarters so um i'm a i'm a huge Stafford fan i'm pulling for him like i said he kind of gets that monkey off his back Shut everybody up, and and uh, you know he's he's proved a lot of people wrong because he's finally in a situation where he's he's able to go out and and uh, be successful. Can you see a way in which the Bengals win this game, considering their weaknesses, the offensive line, and the strength of the Rams of their defensive line? I mean, I think if we've learned anything of these few playoff games, I mean, don't count Joe Burrow out. I mean, he's he's got the ability to put the team on his back, but uh, I mean, they're they're going to have to. They're going to have to do some things up up front. Obviously, you got to double Donald. I mean, you can't you can't block him one on one for four quarters. That, that that'll be a bad recipe. Um, I think you know you've seen some teams try to block these defensive ends with tight ends. Uh, I know that's another way to try. To, you can't do that. You got to chip with the running back, chip with the tight end, get him out into uh, into the defense and routes. But you know, I just think I don't know. I, I think the the way to do it is again, kind of like San Francisco try to do is, is you got to run it. Joe Mixon's a good back. you got to do some play action, so that pass rush down a little bit. Uh, chip them, double them. Um, quick game, I think it's going to be big. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they run a bunch of quick game, just you know, three-step drop type stuff from the gun and, and get the ball out of his hand and not let that pass rush wreck the game. And uh, if, if they can do that, I think they got a chance. But I, I just think you know, uh, on the flip side, you look at the secondary in the Rams. I mean, Jalen Ramsey's probably the best in the league. Uh, they're pretty good across the board. Linebackers can run, can cover. So, um, you know, the Rams, you know, I think the front's going to be a lot of talk, but that's a pretty sound defense. So it's it's going to be tough for the Bengals. Um, but, man, I, like I said, I, I'm not going to doubt Joe Burrow, man. He's he's proven that uh, the guy's a winner, and he's going give him, to give him a chance. Uh, just, just a question, Josh McCown. Did you ever, I mean, he's been on every team. Did you ever play with Josh McCown? No, I didn't. I didn't. I played against him several times, but no, I never, never was on the same team. Okay, so he's one of the finalists for the Texans jobs, and what, and what you'll get from people is, well, he's a high school coach. Like, uh, okay, well, he's 18 years in the league as a backup, which is essentially a quarterback coach slash kind of offensive coordinator. Um, 18 years in the league and one year as a high school coach. How do you how prepared do you think he would be to lead a franchise as opposed to somebody who is a career coach but didn't have the experience that he had? I mean, it's kinda of, kinda of tough. I mean it's hard to say. I think in this situation, you're taking over a franchise that's in shambles, I think it'd be challenging. I mean, you know, when you when you're the head coach, not even the assistant coach, when you become the head coach, yeah, it's about the X's and O's, but it's all it's also about, you know, dealing with personalities, dealing with you know, off the field issues, dealing with the media, dealing with, I mean, there's a million different things you got, you know, a lot on your plate. So um, I'm not going to say you can't do it. I mean, the guy's a smart guy. I had a chance to talk to him a few times. He's he's a brilliant guy. He's obviously, you know, football knowledge-wise, I, I think he's got it. Um, I think my biggest question would be, you know, a guy that hasn't been in that situation of, 
you know, being in front of the room, you know, five days a week and being that voice that every week, you know, you come prepared to, to get your guys motivated to go play. I mean, that's just, it's tough. It's a big adjustment, you know, especially for a guy that hasn't coached very long. So, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against him. I think, I think it'd be a, a sound hire. I think he's obviously got the experience in the league, like you said perfectly. I mean, he's, he's essentially been an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach for the last 10, 12 years because of his time as a backup. So, um, you know, I, I think the knowledge is there. I, I just think, you know, when you become a head coach, man, it's a, it's a different animal, especially at that level. Obviously, you're done with the owners. Uh, you lose a few in a row. People call, start calling for your head, and it's it's just it's a cutthroat business, and he knows that. But um, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think I think he could do it. The, the, the deal for him, and just like any other young head coach that hasn't had any uh, experience being a head coach, I think is just hiring staff. You know, hiring coordinators, you know, hiring some veteran veteran guys that have been around the league to to kind of help you out. But um, and that's that's probably the most that's probably the most challenging thing is just, you know, filling the staff with, with quality assistants that uh, give you a chance to go win. Hire people who know what you don't know, right? And uh, exactly. and, and and then let them let them do their let them let them do their thing. Going to be going to be fascinating. It's a fascinating. By the way, how's the uh, how's the weather? Man, it's pretty rough. I'm over to Buddy's house. We've got uh, about six families and a total of 16 kids over here, and they're getting bundled up. We we live on a golf course here, and so they're they're going to go out and go sledding and. Um, I'm not sure how, man. It's like I think it's 12 degrees out. The windshield's below zero. We've probably gotten, I don't know, three or four inches of snow. Which you know, three or four inches of snow around here, man. They shut the entire city down. So it's uh, it's it's cold. It's you know, it's snowing, and and the kids are loving it. They're out of school tomorrow already. So uh, now now the parents just to get to sit around and sit inside by the fire and drink some wine and. And watch them freeze their butts off. All right, we're we're actually I'm bringing my basket my son's basketball team to town. We're going to attend Bedlam on Saturday, road weather permitting, and then we're playing a little tournament. I'll I'll I'll, I'll hit you on on a text, but uh, may may share some of that wine with you tomorrow night. All right, bud. Yeah, give me a shout. All right, see you. That's uh, Brandon Whedon joining us. Of course, uh, guy who started for the Browns as a first round pick, started for the Cowboys, started for the Texans. Interesting, right? It is challenging, and and I also thought the interesting part were the challenges of being a head coach outside of X's and O's, which you only get once you become a head coach. All right, we're going inside the numbers, specifically the numbers worn by quarterbacks. Oh, I, this is a buyer game. It's next. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Let's get to a game. This is game time. It's game time. On the Doug Gottlieb Show. Dan Byer, what's the game today? Doug, the game today is... I feel a draft. (laughs) I feel a draft. Doubling up on that one. Uh, As Iowa Sam is in for John Ramos today. Of course, Doug is here. I'm here, as is Jason Stewart. We are drafting best jersey numbers for a quarterback. Now, it's a topic we've talked about on the show, but the reason that it's apropos right now, Doug, is according to my data, it's the first time since Super Bowl 13 that we've had the starting quarterbacks of both Super Bowl teams share the same number. So both Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow wearing number nine, Super Bowl thirteen. It was Roger Staubach against Terry Bradshaw, Steelers and Cowboys, both wearing number twelve. Iowa Sam, you pick first, followed by Doug, myself, then Jason, and we snake back for this two round draft. All right, guys. Well, you know, I'm a college football fan first and NFL fan second. That's just always how I've been, being from Iowa. So I'm gonna go with a pretty obvious one. 
Number 12, but there's some parallels here. Obviously, the GOAT, Tom Brady, number 12. Also, my favorite uh, NFL team, the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, number 12. And a uh, very successful quarterback at Iowa, Ricky Stanzi, wore number 12. So I'm taking Stanzi. number 12. <laughs> That's Stanzi the Manzi. All right, so 12 is off the board, Doug. You are up at pick number two. Uh, I always liked seven, and John Elway wore seven, and he wore one, two Super Bowls, was in a couple of others. I'm going to go seven. I think seven's a money number. Lucky seven. All right, number seven. By the way, I'm interested to see how many single-digit to double-digit numbers we have in this draft. I'm going to make it a double-digit. I like... 16. So I'm going to take number 16 at number three. Is that that, uh, Joe Joe Montana? Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Montana at number 16. Also my birthday, so I like the number. I'm going with number 16 at number three. Uh, Guys, I have have a couple rules. Um, I I dislike single digits, and I dislike number seven, and that's in your your face, Doug. So... um, I'm going to go with my man, Dan Marino. I grew up a Marino guy, and I'm going to go 13. You don't see it very often, but I thought it was pretty badass that he wore the number. He wore it proud. And then I'm going to go with uh, number 14. I think that number looks good on Jersey. The old Dan Fouts, YA Tittle, for you uh, old enough to to remember (laughs) that. And Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl at 14. Sure, sure. Actually, I'll take one of those numbers. I'm going to take number four. I don't know if it's because I think Brett Favre made it look good, but I'm going to go number four with my second pick. Doug, you are up at number seven overall. I love four. That's a good one. I'm going to go with 18. The Sheriff. Uh, Yes. Looks good. 18. 18's a cool looking number. It's a it's an awful looking cool looking number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Peyton Manning made it really look good. Yeah. All right. Iowa Sam, your final pick. <sighs> I had number four as well, but that's off the board, so I don't I didn't really have it a maybe third option. Drew so Tate at number five. Uh, yeah, you maybe. could do that. Yeah. Um but I'm just gonna go with eleven. I don't know. I like that uh, number. Bill Sims. Sure, why not? Yeah. Sure. Bill Sims is off the board. And that's game time. That's game, huh? Game time. This is game time on the Doug Gottlieb Show. It's Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, all right, we got a lot to get to still, including a Rams executive said something interesting about their own fan base. Find out what it is next on the Doug Gottlieb Show.